0: Welcome to The Savage Truth with Cicely Davis. I am your host, Cicely Davis. Savage Truth, everyone. I am your host, Cicely Davis. Hope you all had a great weekend. 2024 is well underway as we are already in the second week of the year. And that's how it happens. One quick second at a time, it adds up to an hour, a day, a week, a year. So happy you could join me as always. Please like, share, subscribe, and leave a positive review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube as we move on to the newest headlines. Joe Biden gave quite a speech on Friday as he focused on former President Donald J. Trump, as usual, and his supporters, and of course, January 6th. A new ad from Biden and the Biden administration revealed what Biden thinks should be the centerpiece of the 2024 election. Now, in the ad, the Biden-Harris administration and the entire campaign tied the third anniversary of the January 6th U.S. Capitol riot to what Biden says are clear threats to American democracy. And I quote, I've made the preservation of American democracy an essential issue of my presidency. Now, something dangerous is happening in America. There's an extremist movement that does not share the basic beliefs in our democracy, says Biden in the ad. Extremist movement. Hmm. Extremist movement. Oh, you mean like defund the police? literally depleting the funds to law enforcement, rendering the most vulnerable populations and cities to fend for themselves against criminals. Do you mean something like that? Is that extreme? Let's see, since this extremist movement, Pittsburgh reached its highest number of homicides in decades with 71 in 2022. The city also saw a 46% increase in shootings from 2020 to 2021. Tucson, Arizona, saw 67 homicides in 2022, and non-fatal gun crimes increased by 19% from 2021 to 2022. Gun violence, drug abuse, and homelessness all increased that year as well. Aggravated assaults nearly doubled in Henderson, Nevada in 2022. Robberies also jumped by 91% during the first seven months of that very same year. Atlanta saw a 31% increase in burglaries and a 22% more. They saw 22% more motor vehicle thefts in 2022 than the year prior, according to our America report. Aggravated assaults also increased to 3,465 from just 970 the year before. Between 2020 and 2021, Milwaukee led the nation in car thefts after these crimes increased by 111%. The city saw an overall crime spike of 22.6% during that same period. New York and LA initially reduced police funding in 2022, only to reverse the decisions a year later. Hmm, I wonder why. In Austin, Texas, police budget cuts of around 30% in 2021, were also short-lived as state-level legislation barred the reductions, leading to a 50% boost in the following year. Baltimore followed the trend, initially cutting the budget $22 million with a $15 million increase the following year, and the projections to increase yet another 2.5% for this coming 2024. And even with the realization that this was an asinine, imbecilic and dangerous movement, police staffing shortages still remain an issue across the entire country. Now, these increases can be attributed to two factors. Two factors, the anti-police settlement in the wake of the defund the police movement, which had accompanied the George Floyd protests during the summer of 2020, led many politicians to push police disabling legislation in the years to follow. And as a result, many cities are now feeling the effects. Our America reported that much of the mid-sized cities, like the ones I just mentioned, are often neglected in the national news as pertaining to crime because of media bias. When Joe says extremists, he doesn't mean critical race theory, where all whites are oppressors And inherently racist and people of color are oppressed and can't get beyond this oppressive system without the white savior to turn away from their white privilege and just give away titles, give away positions, properties and access. Easy entrances into colleges by way of lowered standards and expectations from the betterment of BIPOC communities. So when he says extremists, he's not referring to that. He doesn't mean the erasure of female sports or privacy as biological males invade bathrooms, locker rooms, sororities, pageants, and decades of efforts and strides made in female sports so many women have fought for. Or the mutilation of children, cutting the healthy breasts or testes from youth boys and girls in sexual reassignment surgeries. He doesn't mean the weaponizing of the DOJ to go after citizens, parents who want full exposure, disclosure, and transparency in their children's education. Nor does he mean the eight to nine million illegals being allowed to cross our borders into this country without any vetting, giving driver's license, and even health care, like in the great state of California. You get my drift. When the Biden-Harris team speaks of extremism, they mean people like you and me, who care for our country, care that elections have integrity, and that our votes were and actually are counted for, who care for our founding and the Constitution, care for safe communities, and leaving a legacy for the next generation, where our streets are safe, our children are safe, There's healthy conversational discourse, and the American dream is real and tangible. The Biden-Harris dream for America is debt that we cannot pay, bankrupting our country, leaving us vulnerable to our enemies by way of economy and our borders. By the way, poverty for the middle class, desolation for those who earn even less than the middle class, unsafe communities, bigger government, bigger government as led by the wealthy communist elite, and total dependency on government with no guns or arms to defend ourselves, and no rights to speak up or out about it. Censorship and cancellation, poverty and struggle, a poor government-dependent working class where the communist elite defines our way of life and freedom and liberty have a totally new definition. The whole point of the Biden-Harris administration is to cancel you, silence you, dox you, harass you, threaten you, to the point where you self-censor. We censor ourselves and we forget, or we're too intimidated to tell the truth. That the Al Sharptons and the Jesse Jacksons, the Obamas, the Ilhans, the Tlaibs, the Ayanna Presley's, the Corey Bushes, the AOCs, the Maxine Waters, the Sheila Jacksons, the Oprah's, and the LeBron James, and the Adam Schiffs and the Sorrels and the Sumers, and on and on and on mean no good to their own people, and certainly not in general, the American people. They are only interested in their own power and their own prestige. They are interested in redefining America by way of ripping away its foundation, its birth certificate, its history, its heroes, and its way of life and the American dream and force freed the American people, their version, their version of citizenship, their way of life and religion. Oh, but back to the ad. Of course. Of course, the ad came right on time and right before the formal launch of Biden's reelection campaign. For the president, his speech on Friday in Pennsylvania is an opportunity to shape the narrative, putting the focus on the front runner for the Republican nomination. Of course, that's President former President Donald J. Trump. With all the above mentioned, it's obvious that Biden can't run on his own record. You know, when I ran against Ilhan Omar in the midterm elections, people often thanked me for stepping up, for being brave and fearless to take on such a hated and perhaps publicly viewed dangerous candidate. Not because she herself was dangerous, but perhaps who she was associated with and the perceived potential for harm to me and my family. I believe and I still do and I always will believe that no candidate should go unopposed. You have to be fearless to run for office. You have to be willing to put everything on the line. You must be willing to be embarrassed, to be shamed, to be slandered, threatened, doxed, lose friends, make more enemies, be hated, scoffed at, harassed, and the whole bit. You have to be willing to put it all on the line and yes, including your life. Having been a Democrat and waking up from this negative, vegetative, political, cultural, and historical coma called the black monolith, my eyes are wide open, and I decided to live according to truth and to my values, to also call a thing a thing. That's what I want to do. I want to call a thing a thing, and that's what I will continue to do without fear and without hesitation. Now, Joe Biden's speech on Friday in Pennsylvania, his campaign ad, and his panderous visit to the Mother Emanuel Church in Charleston, South Carolina, is beyond obvious. This is a move out of the same old playbook, and I am in hopes that at least black men will recognize that Joe Biden doesn't care one iota about the black community. Understanding that black men have begun to recognize and speak out more about Biden's administration's broken promises. And I've been seeing this all over the Internet. I've been hearing conversations and participating in conversations with black men in my own family. And they are starting to recognize that the Biden-Harris administration has indeed let them down. They remember that he was supposed to be the adult in the room. That he was running as a moderate and was supposed to bring the country together. All lies, all failures, right across the board. Joe Biden is a softie who is being bullied by China, Russia, Iran, and now Mexico, and seemingly everybody else. Calling a thing a thing. Well. It's Democrats who have done great damage to the democratic process. It's this false plea to save democracy and Nazi analogies. They're the ones keeping Republicans off ballots without any due process. It's Democrats who are trying to sue and jail their political rivals in an election year. Again, they do not care for democracy. This is just a slogan, a political strategy, a panderous play, a power play to stay in power with the ultimate result of turning this country into a one party nation. Oh, Sicily, Sicily, why do you say that? Well, Biden's record is on the line. And when you look at it, it's no wonder he wishes to shift the American people's eyes elsewhere. Let's see. Joe's failures in the past four years. Let's have an itemized list, shall we? Sky-high inflation, soaring interest rates, disastrous Afghanistan withdrawal, Iran enriching Iranium at fastest pace ever, more terrorist attacks on U.S. troops, U.S. arms depleted, key nautical trade routes under attack, more division, less unity among Americans, more threats from China, war in Europe, war in the Middle East, importing oil from Venezuela and others, Venezuela threatening its neighbors, Russia threatening to nuke the world, North Korean missiles threats resume, we have higher taxes, higher gas prices, higher food costs, higher energy costs, higher rent and housing costs, record homelessness, unaffordable housing market nationwide, record national debt, record deficit spending, record fentanyl deaths, Record illegal immigration, record immigration court backlog, federal passport processing backlog. I'm on that list, by the way. Major wind power projects canceled, big city lawlessness, U.S. life expectancy lower, more Americans living paycheck to paycheck at 60%, by the way. Record American credit card debt, supply chain disaster, failure to prevent Russian invasion of Ukraine, parents as domestic terrorists in a letter. Woo, I'm exhausted. I mean, really. Is there anything going well with this Biden-Harris administration? Has anything gone well? Are you better off than you were four years ago? And as they enlist the number one and the number two haters of Donald Trump, Barack and Michelle Obama, they will use an old and expected strategy. It's very simple. They're going to talk about MAGA Republicans, Donald Trump, January 6th, they're going to demagogue abortion and out of that very same playbook will come the labels that Republicans are racist, sexist, homophobic, xenophobic, Islamophobic, transphobic, and that they want to kill the air, water, climate, and the entire earth. This is a very, very recognizable play. We need to ensure that it doesn't work. We need to make sure We don't get cocky. Overplay our hand. We need to make sure we have a plan B if they decide to switch candidates. Campaign as if we are two points behind. Not use the term red wave, please. We need to run against any and all Democrats, no matter who they put in, and ensure that any independents that we know understand that life is not better for any of us under this administration. And that we have the opportunity right now, this year, to get it back and to get it right. That people need to trust what they see and not what the Biden administration tells us. Crime, gas, groceries, the border, et cetera. Those things are real. I know he's in trouble because he's dropped the term Bidenomics from his vocabulary, if you've noticed. He's talking about Trump, a person, and not about ideas. Here's the savage truth. Joe Biden has made history as the oldest, least inspiring, least accomplished, least ready to lead, and most failed president we've had in history, as far as I'm concerned. Here's another savage truth. Joe Biden will go in church, stand in the pulpit, and lie before God and the people. We saw it. We saw it with our own eyes at the Mother Emanuel Church. It's tough to watch the people be misled and lied to by the pastor and Biden. And I understand that experience because as a Democrat, this happened so many times with me. And I'm hoping that people, someone in that audience, someone in the congregation had an inkling to at least think to themselves that they were being manipulated and lied to, especially some of those black men. I hope, I really do hope. Suffice it to say, as the Biden-Harris administration has nothing but failure to reflect upon for the last four years in office, they are left with only one choice, only one narrative. To make Trump out to be so horrifying and so scary to independent voters that no matter how incompetent Biden has been for the last four years, it won't matter. That is the sad and weak strategy of this administration. The reason they are employing it is because, again, Biden cannot run on his own record. And here are the two most important issues to Americans right now—groceries, food and gas. You know, those kitchen table issues. Prices under Biden are up 20 percent, according to the Department of Labor, his own administration. This is something Americans feel every single day. And the second issue is the border. There are, as I said, at least eight to nine foreigners now living in the United States. They are unsupervised, and it's all because of Biden's open border policy. Everybody knows that. Everyone knows that. To deny it, at this point, is just simple dishonesty. Listen, I've put it on pretty thick here, I realize. If we decide we're going to run on Sleepy Joe, Tired Joe, Unaccomplished Joe, that will put a dent in his record. But with the rumors, and I'm sure you've all heard whispers as well, if they decide to run someone else, Then we need to be prepared to run against any Democrat they put forth. That's why we need to stay focused. Not just his record, not just his failed administration, not just his broken promises and the bait and switch from moderate to communist, but telling the truth, fiercely, savagely. And speaking of January 6th, a federal judge upholds a six year long sentence for January 6th demonstrator, even though the judge admits that he was neither violent nor destructive. On the eve of the third anniversary of the January 6th Capitol riot, Trump rally, I might add, patriots and Americans who were concerned for the validity of their votes and voices to be heard, and yes, there were a few bad players, I can can accept that, I will admit that, there were a few bad players that day, But for the most part, I saw a big Trump rally. Anyhow, I digress. A federal court ruled a pro-Trump demonstrator saying that even though he was neither violent nor destructive, he could still be convicted of disorderly conduct and sentenced to a year in prison. Russell Alford was sentenced on February 23rd, 2023 to a year in prison after being found guilty of entering and remaining in a restricted building or grounds He was also charged with disorderly and disruptive conduct in a restricted building or grounds, and disorderly conduct in a Capitol building, and parading, demonstrating, or picketing in a Capitol building. Alfred challenged the reasonableness of his sentence. And the sufficiency of the evidence to support two of his convictions, both of which charged him with engaging in disorderly or disruptive content or conduct, excuse me. But DC Circuit Court of Appeals Judge Karen Lecraft Henderson wrote Friday that the court affirmed his convictions as reported by the Hill. The trial evidence indicated that during Alford's brief time with the Capitol, as I quote the judge, he was neither violent nor destructive, wrote Henderson. Nevertheless, we affirm his conviction because a jury could rationally find that his unauthorized presence in the Capitol as part of an unruly mob contributed to contributed to the disruption of the Congress's electoral certification and jeopardized public safety. It is equally clear from the case law that even passive, quiet, and non-violent conduct can be disorderly. And this was added by, again, the judge. The, ju- the DOJ, since the storming of the Capitol, has charged 452 people with assaulting, resisting, or impeding officers in our employees which includes 123 people who have been charged with using a dangerous or deadly weapon or causing serious bodily injury to an officer. The vast majority of the charges, 186, are for entering or remaining in a restricted federal building or grounds. Some who weren't even present at the Capitol on January 6 have also been sentenced former Proud Boys chairman Enrique Tarrio was sentenced to 22 years behind bars, the longest January 6th sentence to date after being found guilty of seditious conspiracy. So, this is to be expected. The true crime was just being there. The true crime was in supporting Donald Trump and exercising your right as a patriot and as American to assemble. As we progress in 2024, Biden and Harris will make this a core issue for elections. We need to get honest and ask the right questions. Is my life better? Are my streets safer? And if you live in a safe neighborhood that was fortunate to not be affected by the defund the police movement, do you actually avoid the inner city? And if yes, is that a good thing? Are my finances better off, my 401k, my pension, my savings account altogether? And for those of you who don't have the benefit of having a 401k or a pension, is your savings account now depleted? Did you have one prior to Biden took office, and now it's depleted or significantly reduced? What has it been like with the increase of gas and groceries? How has that impacted your wallet and your financial future? How has it affected your tuition for your children's future? Did you take on a second job or consolidate or downsize space, transportation, in order to make ends meet? Have you reverted to using credit cards to pay bills or to get you through the end of the week or the month? If you live, in a border or sanctuary state? Do you feel safe? How do you feel about your tax dollars going to illegals as they are afforded unlimited health care, given driver's license, and voting privileges? Have you considered moving, or already have, because of the eroding economy or increasing crime? I still pose the same questions for Black Americans. Is life better at all, in any way? Truly, are your neighborhoods safer since voting for the Democratic Party? Are your children getting better educations? Have you seen an increase in socioeconomic status? Or are we still in last place in education, still last place in graduation rates and crime rates and abortion rates, unemployment rates and health outcomes? Has anything changed since Barack and Michelle and Joe and Kamala? What are the measurable, positive outcomes for the black community since the Biden-Harris admin has been in office? Isn't it time to accept that the Democratic Party care nothing for black Americans, and it's time to actually vote our values, return to two-parent homes, follow through on education, both four-year and to the trades, to reconnect to our faith, Get back to the belief of service and be grateful for this America, our country. Or are you going to continue to be manipulated and used, as the Democrats do every four years, making promises they don't intend to keep, dangling, intangible carrots like reparations and using the same plantational poverty pimps like Sharpton and Maxine to deliver another four years of generational decline as they continue to profit from your anger, from your ignorance, your unwillingness to question and complacent resign of the black monolith." 2024 could be the breakthrough year for Black Americans like never before, and I truly, truly believe that. This is not at all a message to insult you. In fact, it's my strong belief in our community to lead that charge for the change in America, not this doom and gloom, Marxist, socialist, communist way of life. Black people, We just simply don't think like this. This is not us. Just listen to our music. See how we impact culture in America. We're capitalists through and through. And I know the positive impact we have on pop culture in America, in its history, in sports and entertainment and in arts. And I want that to continue on a much larger scale. We're Americans and no one can do it better. No more excuses, no more lies, manipulation and half-truths from our leaders, preachers, and teachers. We can make the mark. We can make the grade. And when we fall short, we analyze, we review, and we pick up from there, we learn from it, and we do better the next time. The only ones who can help us is us. And finally, a New York City girls high school basketball game came to an abrupt halt last Thursday after players on one of the teams verbally attacked their Jewish opponents using anti-Semitic slurs and playing so rough that several players were injured on the court. The girls' varsity team from the LaFell School, a private Jewish school, traveled to Yonkers to play against the local public school, Roosevelt High. But when they took the court, players said they encountered more hateful comments and slurs than they ever had before. So the LaFell team said they noticed this throughout the first half of the game in Yonkers. The environment was somewhat hostile. They heard more jabs and comments than they had in the past, but just decided that they were going to just continue to play the game and ignore those comments. After halftime, and particularly in the third quarter, the tensions grew much, much worse, noticing that some of the players on the Lafelle team had been injured because of increasingly aggressive play. Players on the opposing team started shouting, Free Palestine and other anti-Semitic slurs and curses. I supported some Hamas, you... Uh, exploit of starting with an F Jew. <laughs> forgive me folks, a Roosevelt player snarled at one of the LaFelle players. The players consulted with their coach, John Tess- Tessitore, and determined that the best course of action was to leave the game, which they did, but only after security guards ensured that they could leave safely. Roosevelt has agreed to voluntarily, at that time, forfeit that game. Roosevelt High's athletic director, Kyle Calabro offered an apology, promising swift and appropriate action on the matter. Roosevelt's principal, Edward Deschent, also apologized and was ready to work with LaFell School to investigate and resolve the situation. There was talk also for both schools' leadership to meet and discuss the situation and solve to prevent future incidents across any sports. Now, You know, you have to think about the anti-Semitism that is grossly multiplying across the country right now. And I bet if we were to sit with one of those Roosevelt team members down and to ask them to describe the actual conflict in the Middle East or ask them to give me any enlightenment as to their takes on their positions and why they choose their specific perspectives of the points of view, they couldn't do it, as most can't. These are a bunch of kids who have grabbed onto a narrative. They've seen protests and demonstrations in the streets. And right now, it's sexy, right, to raise hell and to um, raise your voice and jump on the wrong side of the argument. These kids have no possessions. They don't have uh, family members. They don't have a whole lot to lose. So this is the popular thing to do. They may even have seen family members who have also participated in such dis- demonstrations or you know, older sisters and brothers, but they have no idea about the hurt and the vileness they spew out of their mouths. Not to mention the consideration for others. I'm sure people were there for both sides in the stands wanting to actually watch an actual basketball game, to watch the matchup. And here we have some insensitive teenagers who have no clue about the damage they can cause, or at least a bit concerned about their own selfishness, to ruin an entire game, ruin the preparation, the travel, the practice, and the sheer joy of watching sport. I really hope these principles get together and hand down appropriate punishment for these players. Anti-Semitism in this country has spread like a disease, impacting schools, the workplace, and everyday life. This anti-Semitism has gotten so far beyond acceptable, and authorities need to take action on every front. Now this is a great segue into my final portion of the show today. As promised in last podcast, I said I would pull the Nazi mask off some of our esteemed universities past, including Harvard, Princeton, and Columbia. In an age where Democrats are so fond of calling out the Trump Nazis at every turn, here a Nazi, there a Nazi, everywhere a Nazi Nazi, I find it interesting to read about the collaborative past of our esteemed academic universities. So when issues of anti-Semitism are raised at our current university administrators, should we be surprised? Would it shock anyone to find out that just a few decades ago, these same universities were walking arm-in-arm with Nazi ideals. Well, listen up kids, because from the 1920s until the outbreak of World War II, that's just exactly what was happening. Adolf Hitler was a great admirer of American academics' work on eugenics. Now, eugenics is the study of how human reproduction can be arranged to increase desirable traits and weed out what scientists considered undesirables. In short, eugenics provided the basics for Nazi programs that exterminated disabled Germans. This is approximately 250,000 patients, even before it was expanded against Jews, homosexuals, and other groups deemed inferior. Oh, this can't be true, but it is. Yale, under a document labeled Jewish Problem, pushed for quotas holding Jewish enrollment to 10% for four decades. Similar policies also in place at Columbia University, Princeton, and Harvard. And it didn't stop there. Nazis were invited to speak at these universities, participated in foreign exchange programs, which indoctrinated students, many of them agents of the German government, and Nazi professors. It was all part of a German propaganda campaign, so effective that Princeton University voted Adolf Hitler as the greatest living person. This propaganda campaign was developed to improve the Nazi image and Adolf Hitler's profile in the West. Unbelievable. Harvard welcomed Nazi leaders to its campus, inviting them to high profile social events and building friendly relations with Nazi-fied universities in Germany while denouncing those students who protested against these actions. All this was occurring even as the Third Reich intensified its persecution of Jews. Columbia University representatives attended a festival in Heidelberg University, the site of an infamous and anti-Semitic book burning in 1933, despite a massive pushback by students. Unable to hide from its past, the universities have decided to accept it and defend it with a Well, everyone was doing it attitude. The larger problem is they're still doing it. And while the players have changed, the hate remains the same. Call it what you will, Nazism, socialism, communism, and now wokeism. It all leads to the same road and undermines democracy and our constitutional government. The woke now claim that nonconformists, Are racist. This all coming from the masters of censoring, blacklisting, doxing, cancel culture, and shunning. Ah, they really are demonstrating they are the humanists, aren't they? You know, I wonder, just like blacks don't understand or know that slavery was an age-old African practice and that the Democrat Party is the party of slavery and the party of the KKK, I wonder if these students of these universities know of their hateful history. Because just for a minute, I thought they sounded like the bullies. Oh, I'm sure that's just my overactive imagination. So can we learn from the past? It seems not, at least at the academic level, because you would think condemning a terrorist group that committed the greatest single massacre of Jews since the Holocaust wouldn't be that hard. But clearly, for the presidents of Harvard, MIT, and Penn, it's a complicated issue, one deeply buried in its past. But make no mistakes. These esteemed university leaders boldly fight for equality and against hate on their own campuses, unless, of course, it involves Jews. This is what happened in Germany when elitists and privileged took control. So I'll say again. Wokeism is counter to democracy and our constitutional government. Many of you, of course, know this. We need to educate and inform those who don't. Fight back, America. It's time to open our eyes and expose the truth. Their words can't hide from the lies in their eyes. Please like, share, subscribe, and leave a positive review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. And remember, be bold, be strong, be faithful, be true. Till next time, I'm Cicely Davis. The Savage Truth with Cicely Davis is a production of Front Page Magazine and the David Horowitz Freedom Center. Reproduction of this podcast without express written consent is prohibited.